Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. You've got a great guest talking about some just, frankly, really cool tech that I'm excited about because it's gonna allow more money for more good, but I won't give it away. I won't spoil it because we have Dom Palms, the founder and CEO of Be Generous. How's it going, Dom? It's great. Thanks so much for having me on today. Yeah, absolutely glad you could come on. And I'm even more excited for you to explain what Give Now, Pay Later actually means for you. Absolutely. So I don't know, uh, George, if your listeners are you familiar with the buy now, pay later space, but this is a, you know, a market that sprung up around 10 years ago. And what these products allow you to do is exactly what the name sounds like. You can buy a product now and pay for it over time. So the leaders in the space are Affirm, Klarna, and Afterpay. Probably seen them in the news recently. They've all been part of uh, major IPOs and acquisitions. But the way it works is very simple. You can go to an e-commerce website. Let's say you want to buy a television and the television costs $1,000. Well, not everybody has $1,000 necessarily or wants to use a credit card with exorbitant interest rates. So what you would do is you would use a buy now, pay later loan to purchase the product. And you can basically apply, get underwritten and approved in about 30 seconds at the point of sale, literally as you're checking out. So what would happen is if you get approved, the money will be sent to the merchant by one of these companies. The merchant receives the $1,000. You then get the television and you pay it off in installments, usually with some interest. Now, what's important to know about these loans is that they're very, very, very popular. So the CFPB, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, just put out a report that said 56% of all Americans have used a buy now, pay later loan to purchase a product online, which is unbelievable considering this is an industry that's you know, not even a decade old. And one out of every five online e-commerce transactions today, or 20% of the market, is purchased using uh, buy now, pay later loans. So it's big, big business. And so what we've done is we've taken the best parts of that infrastructure. We've ripped out the worst part, which is, of course, the interest payments for the consumer. I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, we've taken that out. And what we've done is we've created the first ever philanthropic credit product, which allows someone, instead of buying now and paying later, to donate now and pay later or to give now and pay later. And so the way it effectively works is that you can go to your favorite nonprofit's website. You let's decide, let's say you want to give them 100 bucks. You put in $100. And you basically get told, instead of giving $100 today, would you be able, interested, or open to splitting up that $100 over, let's say, 10 payments, just to make the math very simple. And so you then split it up over 10 payments. However, the nonprofit receives the $100 today. And the donor gets the full tax deduction today for $100. Meanwhile, the donor pays nothing out of pocket today. And their first payment of $10 is due in 30 days from now. With no fees, no interest, no transaction costs, no hidden costs of any kind. So essentially what you're doing is taking your donation, the principle of it, and spreading it out over payment so it's more convenient and easier for the average person to pay over time. But we send all the money to the nonprofit and we give the donor the full tax deduction right away. And it sounds, it sounds awesome. And then I guess to be honest, like it's been around in the for-profit e-commerce ecosystem for so long. Why is it taking so long for this to come to nonprofits? Well, it's funny you say, it's very funny you say that because 
when we were raising our venture capital round for this, <laughs> I would talk to the VCs and all of them would be like, how has no one done this before? Why? Like, like, I don't understand. Why are you guys the first to do it? Why did no one do it before? And I'll give you my answer and then I'll give you what I think. I'll give you my personal answer and then I'll give you what I think is a better answer. My personal answer is for a long time, Silicon Valley has ignored the philanthropic space. I mean, that's just the reality. If you look at where big innovation has occurred in the payments space in the technology world, most of it has to do with online banking payments and e-commerce transactions. And I understand why that is. These companies are in the business of making money. And the word nonprofit is literally in the title of, right, of nonprofit technology. It says nonprofit. And so there's a strong misnomer that these companies can't be profitable, can't be a business, can't make money. However, what you know, and I'm sure your listeners know, is that when companies innovate in this marketplace, there's a huge amount of, quote unquote, profit they can make as long as it's a sustainable and ethical fair business model. Because when I tell people all the time, and they're shocked to hear this, is that the nonprofit space, as defined by the total amount of donations to U.S.-based nonprofits, is basically the same size as the e-commerce space, right? So last year, there were $484 billion of donations given to nonprofits. There are 1.7 million nonprofits in America, and over 200 million Americans give to nonprofits annually. And the, large, the, uh, the average annual gift to a nonprofit in the United States is larger than the average online e-commerce transaction. So in many ways, the marketplaces are similar. One of them is saturated with credit and lending and technology products, which is the e-commerce and banking world. The nonprofit space does not have that level of saturation when it comes to stuff like this. So I think that it's just been a space that's been ignored for a very long time. And the other reason, and I'll tell you from more from a personal perspective, this is very, very hard to build a product like this. Because not only do you need to build the technology, you need to secure a lending facility. Because ultimately, this is a lending product. So I, can t I can't get into the specific numbers, but we have a you know, multi-million, I mean, tens of millions and more lending facility by an incredible bank founder that we have. It's a community bank in Minnesota who have, you know, obviously taken a risk on us and say, hey, we're going to lend out a significant I mean, millions and millions of dollars worth of capital to donors who want to support their nonprofits. And that process and being regulated like a bank and having to raise a big VC round to do this is just very, very difficult. So I think that's another barrier to entry for something like this. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, my mind goes to like, for how many years did it take us as a species to finally put wheels on luggage? <laughs> there you go. Putting wheels on luggage. You're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Why, why, why are you tugging that around? Yeah, but it, you're, it's so true. Some of the VCs I talked to were like, this is so obvious. I can't believe it's not been done before. And I'm like, yeah, it, yeah, it is. But it's, uh, it's hard to well, build, you know? Comes down to execution, right? So that's, you know. that's the next layer. So I'll just ask a straightforward question. Yeah. It sounds like you're not charging interest from what I heard on these loans to donors. That's correct. This is completely free for donors. There's no cost of any kind to the donor. So how do you make money? Yes. Great question. So for the <laughs> upset, <laughs> yeah, I like this question because, you know, I've been in the, what I call fill tech, philanthropy technology space for 10 years plus now. And so I, you know, I, I try to do things that are in the best interest of the, of the, of the sector as a whole. So from the beginning, I said I was adamant that I didn't want to charge the donor anything, any whether it's a late fee if they pay late, whether it's an interest payment, whether it's a transaction cost. And the reason is, I think it's a bad business model to charge donors money to give away money. It's a disincentive. And you want to do the opposite. You want to incentivize them to, to, to give donations. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I wanted to create a frictionless product for the nonprofits. What I, what I mean by that is I do not want to, we do not charge them subscription fees. We do not charge them SaaS fees and we do not charge them integration costs. So from a fixed cost perspective, also free to the nonprofit. The way we make money is a success fee. So only when a successful donate now pay later transaction actually occurs and someone 
uses Donate Not Pay Later, increases their donation to their nonprofit, a percentage of that transaction is, uh, is uh, basically debited back to the lender. And then we, be generous, split that with the lender. So in effect, the nonprofit is absorbing the cost of this program effectively. Well, via donation. So it comes off the top of whatever that donation comes in. Exactly. It's essentially- And have you landed on a percent yet? Or are you still figuring that out? No. So it's variable. It's actually variable. And the reason it's variable, and I'm sure you know this, is something that's very popular in the nonprofit world is allowing donors to cover a percentage of the transaction cost. So today, if you go to most nonprofit websites, when you check out, it'll say, do you want to add five bucks? Do you want to add 5% to cover a portion or whatever it might be? We basically do the same thing. Because this is free, completely free for donors, we see a lot of donors opting in and say, yeah, I'll cover a percentage because it doesn't cost me anything and it's a couple percent and so forth. So the rate, because of that, the rate is variable. Okay. So it's the, the, by donor choice for a suggested tip or something like that you're, you're working on. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. So the rate- But that nonprofit cashes that check that day regardless of whether yep. that donor ends up fulfilling and paying back the total amount of effectively the loan you have given your partner. You're exactly right. That's the really important part. So, you know, even if a donor at month three says, you know what, I can't afford this anymore. I lost my job or I just don't like these guys anymore. And they decide to stop paying. The non There is no risk to the nonprofit. The nonprofit has already received the money and maybe they've even used the money, right? So this, and by the way, this whole process, George, is instantaneous, right? So I'm, I'm sort of laying it out methodically step by step. But the reality is you go to your nonprofit's website, you see a donate now, pay later button you, and you click it, which is our product. You can get through that entire flow. I mean, literally within a minute and a half. And this whole process happens virtually instantaneously. The money is then sent to the nonprofit immediately. And the nonprofit has access to those funds the minute they hit their bank account, regardless of if the donor fulfills the full payment plan. Mm. And the tax receipt too comes to the donor immediately too. So if you give $1,000 to a nonprofit, you actually get a $1,000 tax deduction, you know, within a couple of minutes of, of, the, of, of you clicking, you know, donate effectively, even so though you haven't just, spent any money. But it just jumped to the thing that caught my imagination immediately because you made that point. It's December 15th and I'm feeling generous, but my wallet is not. Right. Right. I made this comment on LinkedIn and someone had gotten back like, oh, I've just used my credit card in the past to do that. And I was like, Oh, you mean you had like, you know, 30 days to pay back a, a generous moment at high risk of APR. Thank you. Like lending MasterCard. And I was like, I think this is different. And I think it's different in a big way. Can you just map out this like mindset of tax incentive? And albeit I'm aware that only 15% thereabouts of US taxpayer itemized. Yeah. Yet to be seen with the new changes coming of audit. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. 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 Talk to uh, me about that opportunity. You're exactly right. So people a lot of times think that the biggest benefit for this, this, this type of product is the tax receipt. Now, for those who gift over $10,000, this is a huge benefit, right? You're booking an immediate tax deduction. You're coming out of pocket, no money. And of course, you're just, it's just the principal, no interest or fees. So this can be a big benefit for you if you, in fact, do itemize and you're giving larger amounts. But for the average person, who gives maybe three, $400 a year to maybe one or two nonprofits, the tax receipt's not going to be the biggest incentive and, the, and, and the, for the biggest value, I should say. We've done a lot of polling with donors who have access to our product. And the number one reason that people find value in our product is simply, well, it's really it's two reasons within one. The first is, this is completely free for the donor. So you just made the point a minute ago. If you don't, have, you put a thousand bucks on your credit card, the average interest rate in the United States, the average APR is, is around like 16 to 18%. 
So, okay. So now that that donation is actually not a thousand dollars. It's going to cost you almost twelve hundred dollars, right? So you're incurring fees to give away money and you're incurring significant fees to do that. The exact same transaction on our product costs you nothing. It is, it's a thousand dollars and that's what you're paying back, thousand dollars. So of course that's a huge benefit. The second big benefit that people derive from our product is, and this is actually, this was the number one reason in the poll that we did with our, with our people who have access to the product. The number one reason people like this is simply the idea that the nonprofit, that they can pay over time for free, but that the nonprofit gets the money today. Because as everybody knows, nonprofits oftentimes are short of capital. 40% of all donations in the United States come in the last quarter of the year. And about half of all nonprofits today in the United States have less than one month of cash on hand. So the problem in the nonprofit space isn't necessarily there's not enough money being given overall because it's almost half a trillion dollars being given. But there is a problem of liquidity, which is the money at the right time to the organizations that need it. And so this fundamentally solved that problem, but it allows the donor to pay their convenience without stressing their bank account or charging them anything to do it. And that is ultimately the core value of the product. I want to get a little nuanced in here. So forgive me, because I've been trying to math out the, or basically game, game out the difference between the opportunity to get somebody to become a monthly donor, right? That's sort of like give 25 every month and just let it run versus this opportunity to donate as much as I can right now and then pay it off later. How do you look at that inflection point? What would, what do you imagine? Because it's hard to say you don't have enough data. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's an over under credit card numbers change and things can happen. And the, like, I can't even find the accurate data on like the average retention for a monthly donor. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because we do have the data from GuideStar. So I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I was on the phone a couple of weeks ago with the CEO of one of the largest nonprofits in the United States. So they're within the animal space. I said, Jim, can you tell me about your monthly giving program? He said, well, we have a significant monthly giving program. We have, you know, let's just say a very large number of donors give us, you know, in the order of, you know, 20 bucks a month, basically. And I said, okay, can you tell me about, you know, your cancellation rates, basically? And we didn't get into exact numbers, but it was basically, it was double digit percentages, right? And according to GuideStar, this was, this shocked me, by the way, GuideStar says 50%, 50% of all donors who sign up to give monthly cancel within the first year. That's a, that's, a, that's a stat that they provide, right? So whether it's 50%, 30%, 40%, it's a significant percentage of people who become a sustainer or a monthly giver who do not follow through past the first year. So that's the first problem with monthly giving. The second problem with monthly giving, oftentimes for a lot of nonprofits, is again, the liquidity problem. If I said to you, hey, I can give you $120 today versus I can drip in 10 bucks a month for 10 months, which would you prefer? Most people, most organizations want the money up front. And that's the same thing with people, right? If I said I can give you 10 bucks a month for a year or $120 now, people want the money now. Nonprofits are the same. They want the money now because they obviously they need the money to do run programs and so forth. So what I had said to this um, executive is I said, look, let's just make up a scenario. Imagine if you switched all of your monthly givers from a monthly sustainer giver model, the way they give now, into a donate now, pay later product, right? Into our product. I said, two things will happen. First, Instead of dripping in $20 a month, you're now going to get $240 up front, right? You're getting, you're getting the, you're getting the whole, whole donation up front. So that's going to fundamentally change your liquidity profile. And of course he agreed and was like, yes, that would be a huge change in the way we manage our cash flow. And I said, the second thing that would happen is let's just say you're writing off 30% of gifts because people do not follow through. You don't just reduce your monthly donor churn or your monthly donor cancellation. You eliminate it. 
This is one of the few products where I can sit here and look you in the face and say, we will solve this problem for you. We won't reduce it. We will end it completely. Because, because you get all the money up front and because we absorb the loss, even if the donor stops paying, it has no effect on the nonprofit. Versus obviously in a normal monthly giving program, when someone stops paying, the nonprofit loses the money. So those are the two material benefits and material differences between monthly giving and you know, using a donate now, pay later product. Now, we're not trying to necessarily compete. If people want to do both, they can do both. But the last point I'll make on this is that the beautiful part about this, and one of the hardest parts with building a startup, any startup, is trying to get users to adopt a new behavior. It's very, very difficult to get users to adopt a behavior they're not familiar with. Well, in this instance, donors are very familiar with monthly giving because half of donors, particularly millennials and Gen Zers, are on a monthly giving program. So to the average user, the average donor, let's say, our product just looks like a monthly giving program. Whether they're doing it through their credit card or their debit card directly with a nonprofit or whether they're doing it through us, 10 bucks out of your account every month is 10 bucks out of your account every month. The difference is we give you the full tax deduction, of course, right up front. But, but we're not teaching the donor a new behavior. It's something they already know how to do. Yeah, there's some nuance though. There's definitely some nuance where I'd imagine, and in my mind, it's, it's a, in addition to, not instead of strategy yeah. potentially. Yeah, because I, I hear you 50% is under. I know how numbers work. The other 50% is over. And so the question is, then it's on your team to renew that. And there's also a question of, you know, big number, scary donor, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. You know, like, because humans and math, $25 a month is like, oh, I can handle that. And suddenly I'm looking at a bill of what, you know, $250 or $500. You're like, uh, whoa, that's more than I'm ready to spend. Like, how do you think about the, the risk of sticker shock of large numbers like that? Well, we, we don't, because of the way the product is built, we, you know, same, same with the buy now, pay later companies, we don't run into that problem. The, the person, the donor never sees the big number, right? They only see one ninth of the number, for example, right? We, so we offer three, six, and nine month uh, okay. uh, uh, payment periods, right? So, mm-hmm. so if you made a donation to uh, the Red Cross, let's just say, you're ne- and, it, and you normally give $250, let's say, and now you decide to give $500. You don't ever, $500 does not leave your account all at once. You never see the $500 number other than when you first put it in. And it's broken down for you so you can see what does one ninth of $500 look like, right? So uh, again, to make the math simple, let's just use one tenth because that's easy, obviously. That would be 50 bucks, right? So $50 is not scary to a lot of people, whereas $500 is, right? So when you show them you're breaking it down and of course, it's free for them and they have the convenience of paying over time, that sticker shop problem doesn't really come into play for us. What is the, I'm just curious, what is the max number you allow for a donation? Um, so we can finance donations all the way from 75 bucks on the very low end, all the way in aggregate up to $50,000. So one donor could roll in and you said like, it takes 90 seconds. You could drop 50, 50 grand on a nonprofit. I mean, it's, you could if you wanted to. I mean, you need to, obviously, you have to get approved, right? Not every single person, like yeah. if you have active bankruptcies and tax liens and stuff, I mean, we wouldn't approve you. But yeah, I mean, the whole process can take about 90 seconds. That's right. Mm-hmm. But you're not running a credit check on someone's social, right? This does not affect their credit to apply. It's a soft credit pull. So we do look at it, but it does not affect, like if you use this product, it will not affect your credit to apply for this. Yeah, I feel like that's important. You don't want someone getting the old... FICA yeah. score drop because they wanted to donate $100. And you're like, that feels yeah. broken. That is important. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I kind of covered this question of does it cannibalize monthly giving 
and it's interesting and like that sort of like sticker shock i think there's still things to play with in there i'm very curious as what you'll what you'll find uh are there any other insights that you got in building this product that you want to share yeah i mean there's so many insights it's a great question i think what's most astounding to me is so when i first conceived of this and when i looked into the buy now pay later space and some of our uh, investors come from the buy now pay later world and our ceos and board members of some of those companies so we have a lot of insights you know what, what i what what you see in the buy now pay later space the big the average the big claim of buy now pay later if you look at the e-commerce space is look we can increase your average order value by 50 60 70 80 percent plus right that's why amazon and walmart and all these companies that's why they use the buy now pay later loans and they offer them simply because when you allow somebody in any industry to pay for something over time, people will pay more money. It's a reason that people put expensive things on credit cards. Not a lot of people want to drop $1,000 all at once on a TV. You let them split it up over 12 months and they're like, okay, it becomes more affordable. And that's with interest rates, right? That's, that's even with charging people interest. Same thing I always say with the car payment. Most people, if they had to put all that money down right away, nobody would own a car. But if you allow them to lease it over three years, it becomes affordable. And of course, same thing with a house. People are dropping a million. No, you know, most people don't have a million dollars to put down on a house, but you allow them to pay it off over 35 years in a mortgage, people buy homes. So I knew that there would be an increase in the amount that people would give using this methodology. But what surprised me is how many people said they would actually do it based off of our survey research. So we recently, like as in like a week and a half ago, ran a survey with hundreds of donors, hundreds of donors, where we basically showed them the product, the prototype, and the video of the product. And we then gave them a scenario. We asked them the simple question, using this product, would you keep your donation the same, decrease your donation, or increase your donation? And the most startling thing I can share with you, 100%, every single donor who took the survey, and this is a random sample, statistically significant, conducted by a company that, not our company, we did not conduct the survey, so there's no bias in there. But 100% of the survey respondents said, I would use this to increase my donation. And that's an astounding number, right? So that's just a really interesting insight. So I knew there would be people who were willing to give more. I didn't know if this many people would be willing to give, if that makes sense. Yeah, and the opportunity is there. Uh, really quickly, I'm trying to play the, the sort of voice in someone's head and executives. You know, you started off with this comparison to companies like Affirm and the Buy Now, Pay, uh, Buy Now, Pay Later, which has deep association with predatory types of, you know, APRs, traps for, for people that can't afford the things that they're buying. Yeah, what happens, frankly? And what is your process for dealing with people that like got over their skis, got more generous than their, their wallet would allow? Absolutely. So I'm glad you mentioned the predatory and APR stuff. So as you said at the beginning, I mentioned we took out the worst parts of buy now, pay later. Obviously, ours is interest-free. So we don't get into any predatory lending or anything like that. Um, but however, you're, you're talking about you know, delinquencies and defaults, which of course do happen. So we have a very generous hardship process. So basically anybody who can't pay because of a legitimate reason, I lost my job, I can't afford it anymore, whatever, I got divorced, whatever the situation might be, we put them into a hardship loan process, which allows them to basically ask for things like, can I skip a payment? Can I pay partial payment? Can I pay down early by reducing the amount I'm having to pay? And et cetera, et cetera. And we do not charge late fees or late penalties. That's ultimately a huge consideration as well. You're not going to, you know, no one's jacking up any rates on you or charging you late fees, which a lot of the buy not pay laters do, and they've gotten in trouble for it. So we really have taken the worst aspects of the buy not pay later space, like interest and late fees and also hard collections process. We've removed them from our process. We don't do any of those things. 
Nice. And then my next question is, I guess, more of a, a tactical one. We, uh, we actually at Whole Whale, we do work with, uh, the giving block, which is a crypto donation platform. And, you know, we are, we're battling constantly with this mindset of like, do you want to put this all on one mega donation page or do you want to split it up and have different avenues for the types of mindsets uh, of givers? Where are you landing so far on, you know, obviously the data that you are developing insights that you have found for good old, good old gut. Yeah. That's a, it's a great question. This is a this is a question that we wrestle with all the time, right? Like the giving block, like you were alluding to. Um, right now, the way that we've created our integration process is it's essentially a line of JavaScript that the nonprofit could decide where best to put this button. And most nonprofits decide to put it on their main fundraising page just next to their donate button, right? So when you log, essentially go to your nonprofit's website, it'll say the donate button next to it, it'll see donate now, pay later. Now that's where they've chosen to do it. But a lot of other nonprofits have said like, can they put this on an email marketing campaign? Can they build out a separate page specifically for this? And so those are capabilities that we're in, literally, as I speak, developing right now. But it is a it is an interesting question because different organizations have totally different viewpoints on this. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, if you've seen one, you've seen one kind of thing, depending on donor behavior. However, I could imagine a world where it fits very elegantly on a campaign specifically designed around like, hey, for, you know, for five, you know, for whatever it is, divide by nine. <laughs> right. For this, this much a month, you can do right. this. Come here, one and done. And especially coming back and like hammering that in December as that opportunity, hammering that in that giving Tuesday window of saying like, you could be a month of donor or, you know, that yep. you're going for that. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it'll be just interesting to, to watch and see. Yep. Uh, how many, how many organizations are signing up using this right now? What yeah. process? Yeah, so we have, uh, well, we have thousands of organizations in our basically sales pipeline. We're in the midst of contracting with several hundred of them. So I mean, like, literally, as I speak, contracts are being sent out to these organizations. And, you know, our, our, uh, it looks like we'll be on track and our goal will be to do about $90 million of gross loan volume over the next 12 months. That's great. That's really impressive. Uh, yeah, it's exciting. The, of course, though, you, you feel that the danger of being the, the folks that put wheels on luggage is the rest of the people be like, is that wheels on luggage? Yeah, that's like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, that's already started. That's already started. <laughs> so we're seeing, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see, uh, you know, fast follows, copycats, whatever you want to call them eventually. Um, and, you know, I, I think competition is fine. You know, we're comfortable with our product, but um, we're certainly innovators in the space. You know, this is completely proprietary was incredibly difficult, incredibly expensive to build. Did you get the trademark for give now, donate now, pay later? Uh, yeah, we have it pending right now with the trademark office. Oh, good luck on that one. That's pretty tasty. How did nobody grab that? Yeah, you know, it's pretty wild. So I, I, I we have the trademark for a lot of things in the, <laughs> having to do with give now, give now, pay later, donate now, pay later, give now, pay over time. Like all of these things are pending right now with the USPTO. Um, and actually, we've, we've actually received some of them in foreign countries as well. So we filed in foreign countries as well, um, other markets that are philanthropically um, engaged. And we've actually received approvals on some phrases, which is interesting. Oh, very exciting. All right. Anything else to share before we jump into rapid fire? No, this was great. This was great. I really enjoyed the conversation. Oh, we're doing our best over here. All right. Please keep your responses to about, I don't know, 30 seconds. What is one tech tool or website that you have started using in the last year? Slack. Love Slack. Any tech issues you're currently battling with at the organization? That's a good question. 
tech issues that we're currently battling with. Um, we are, well, it's what you referenced earlier, the, the various integration options, because that changes you know, the code base of how you offer your product. So I think, you know, the integration options and, and how you build something like that is a challenge. What is coming in the next 12 months that has you the most excited? Yeah, so I um, <laughs> love it. So we have also created something called a PODA, a point of donation advertisement. Um, I won't get into too many details, but it's very, very cool. And it's very proprietary as well and would benefit nonprofits a lot. Talk about a mistake that you've made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things today. Well, um, I, so I, gra- I, I went to graduate school at Columbia University in New York City. And when I was in graduate school, you know, we would get told by all of our professors that we were the best and we were smart and we went to an Ivy League school and all that, what I consider to be nonsense, quite frankly, now. And it goes to your head as a young kid, you believe it and you, you know, you're, you're, with, you're, you're told every day that these things are true. So I went out there very cocky after I graduated from grad school thinking I'm going to get a job making 250K and I'm going to be the man and all this stuff. And it was during the subprime 08 crash and I got nothing. I was unemployed, basically. And so it was a lesson that I learned. Um, and so, you know, about a humility and, and be humble. Um, and so now, to answer the question more directly, now every single person who applies for a job, I don't always succeed, but I really do try to get back to them and treat everybody with respect. I don't always succeed because I get 500 emails a day, but I, I try as much as I can. So it's a lesson I've taken with me my whole life. Do you believe that nonprofits can successfully go out of business? Yes. Yes. Um, it, it would be incredible if every nonprofit did go out of business, because that would mean, hopefully, the, the, the reason that they were created has been solved. Uh, you know, if, if, if that were to happen, that would be incredible. So um, if they could solve the problems they're intending to solve, that would be amazing. So yes, I do. If I were to throw you in the hot tub time machine back to the beginning of founding Be Generous, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, be patient. And remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. What is something that you think your organization should stop doing? Being so hard on ourselves, being so tough on ourselves. If I were to give you a magic wand to do whatever you want, wave it across the social impact sector, what would it do? I mean, it's very self-serving, but it would put a donate now, pay later button (laughs) on every nonprofit. You gave me the wand. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. There you go. Yeah. How did you get started in the social impact sector? I grew up around the world. I was born in Asia, grew up in Europe, lived in the United States, um, really saw the world from different perspectives, saw you know extreme poverty when I was younger in Asia and growing up um, on sort of on the other side of things in central London. And I'd always been interested in helping people. It was something I was really passionate about. Thought that government was the way I could do that. Obviously, as a young man, I was naive and realized I'm not really helping anybody here. <laughs> and I was, so I was in government for a couple of years and I worked in the private sector and was thoroughly unfulfilled by just making money, very unfulfilled. And so I was looking for something at the intersection of profit and purpose. And um, I founded in Los Angeles at a company called Global Philanthropy Group, which was a private philanthropy consulting firm for nonprofits. That's where I fell in love with doing good in the world, helping people, trying to make nonprofits more efficient, but still being able to have the, the um, nimbleness and the innovation of the private sector. What advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social impact sector? Do not, do not give up. It's a sector that needs innovation. It needs smart people and smart minds, but it can be hard to break into. People can be suspect of motivations. Um, People are busy, like in every industry. Don't give up. If you really have a passion for this, don't give up. But one other thing I will add, I know you asked for one, but I have to say it. Don't go into this field if you just think you want to, if this is a way you think you're going to make a lot of money, right? (laughs) You know, go go into the field if you really want to help people. 
because I get people you know, pinging me once a week saying, hey, I have this new tech company that's going to revolutionize nonprofit donations and we're going to make a billion dollars. And I'm like, what's your background? And they're like, oh, I came from this bank or that bank or this McKinsey or there. And I'm like, you're barking up the wrong tree. That is, this is like, there's may, way easier ways to make money than doing this. Uh, so, you know, if your motivations aren't in it for the right reasons, don't do it. All right. What advice did your parents give you that you either followed or did not follow? That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, I did, well, my father gave me um, lots of advice over the years, but uh, a couple of times he's given me advice that I didn't follow, which I was thankful about, about how to respond to people that are, um, let's say, rude to you on email or something like that. And you write those angry responses back and then you sit on it for 24 hours like we've all done. And sometimes he's like, oh, that's a great response. You should send it. And I'm like, I don't know about that. I'm going to give it a couple more days. And then I come back and I'm like, thank God I didn't send that email. <laughs> so, yeah, so stuff like that. They saw it. All right. Final hardball. How do people find you? How do people help you? Yeah, thank you. So um, I'm, I'm personally very active on LinkedIn. My full name is Dominic Calms, A-A-L-M-S. Um, pretty active LinkedIn account, uh, always posting about philanthropy, trends in the nonprofit space, and of course, my company, Be Generous. And then our website is the letter B. It's just the letter B and the word generous. It's not B-E. So it's just BeGenerous.com. Um, and we'd love to uh, have you guys check it out. Dom, thanks for the work you're doing, pushing innovation in the social impact sector, getting more money to more good causes. We're wishing you luck. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 